0: What's up ya that's what we're dealing with tonight really that was how your week was was it that good was it that sad I'm sorry I'm sorry well hey Thursday night is the night where you get to have fun you get to cut loose and as we always say Friday at work kind of doesn't count like you can just check in and so we hope you stay out late tonight we hope that you meet people we hope you go to IHOP amen <laughs> If you do go to IHOP, they're going to be so happy that you're there. We went, and, like, they, they know you people. I have not been in a while, but they're like, oh, you're from, the, you're from the church? Like, they just know. Like, you guys all must go to IHOP. So good for you guys. Um, we are in our last week of if you don't know, now you know. And if you've missed this series, this whole series has been about basic questions and curiosities we have around Christianity and what we do with those. And so we've talked about things like the Bible, we've talked about things like obedience, worship, and tonight what we want to talk about is this thing called faith. And the reason we want to talk about this is because I think that in our culture it can kind of be ambiguous as to what faith is. Like if you're only listening to society, it's difficult to tell what faith is about, right? Because you will see somebody maybe with a bracelet on and it says, faith And you're like, that's cool, but you like don't know what they mean by it, right? Or like people will say that they are spiritual and that spirituality might have to do with Jesus or it might not have to do with Jesus. And they'll say things like, um, well, my faith is personal or I've got a faith of my own or like, you know, like I've got a spiritual kind of a faith. And so you kind of don't know what that means. Or we use adjectives with our faith, like my faith is super strong right now. I've got loads of faith. Or we say, my faith isn't super weak right now, right? And if you, if you listen to the way we talk about faith in society, you will begin to think that faith is something like whimsical and something that's ethereal and something that's like positive vibes or positive juju, right? Like, and, and truly, right? But that could not be further from the truth. Because according to scripture, faith is actually a whole lot more concrete than that. Faith is actually something very sure, very certain. And according to Hebrews 11, we get a definition of what faith is according to the way God sees it. And it says this in Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. And being certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. That's an aggressive term. We are sure of what we hope for. We are certain of what we do not see. And so faith, for for the the sake of tonight and for what we're talking about tonight, we're going to define faith this way. Faith is believing ahead when life tells you to shrink back. Faith is believing ahead when life tells you to shrink back back. And so the question I have for you young adult tonight is what are you having faith for tonight? In your world, in your space, what is the thing consuming your mind and your heart that you are believing on tonight? And if you are having a hard time thinking about what you are believing on tonight, then may I challenge you that maybe tonight God wants you to take your faith to another level and to believe in things that you do not yet see in your life? What are you believing for tonight? And I titled tonight, if you're taking notes, don't shrink back, amen? Let's bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to be here. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for every single person in here. I thank you for young adults. I thank you for this generation. And God, I just feel like tonight's gonna be a moment. And so I thank you for that ahead of time. And God, we pray that every single person in here would walk out bolstered in their faith. God, that we would not be a people. We are not a people that shrink back, God, but we are a people that press in. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. All right, so it's football season. How are you guys feeling? <laughs> okay, you guys were way more, boo. You guys were way more excited about that than, like, when I brought up the verse about faith. So I don't know what to think about you people. All right? It is football season. Go Broncos. Yeah! Security is coming to get you, friend. If you don't, if you don't stop with the eagles, um, I'm kidding. We'll pray for you. But honestly, if you want deliverance, um, deliverance from that, we'll have prayer afterwards. Um, no, seriously, it is it is football season. I used to not love football. When I first started dating my husband, I did not know what football was. And so I started dating job. We were like hanging out, right? And 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 he watches football different than I watch football. I love football now, okay? Love football now. But the way that he watches football and the way that I watch watch football are completely different. In fact, I might even I might even take a guess and say that the way that men watch football, I don't, I wanna tread lightly, but the way that men watch football is different than the way that women watch football. And here's what I mean. When John watches football like he analyzes it, when I watch football, I'm just like there for the ride. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like like when John watches football, like he makes a call before the refs make a call, right? And then when the refs make a bad call, he's like, that's a bad call. And then, and then he's right, right? Like they watch the footage and they watch it back and they recall, you know, their their, their call on the field. And so he's like he, like, he knows the moves that Elway's gonna make with the coaching staff before they make the moves. Like he knows how deep the bench is. He knows all about the draft picks and all the deal. So like when he watches football, like he analyzes it and I'm just like, this is great, you know? <laughs> I love football, right? And so, and so in our fantasy football league, how many of you, love, you play fantasy? It's so fun. So in our fantasy football league, uh, John is—he dominates because he analyzes, like he analyzes. And I don't dominate. Um, so, so true story. Our very first year, this was how I picked my team, right? Like it, there was like a whole you know crew of dudes like up on the screen, and I was like, okay. And I was like, well, he has a nice smile. I him on my team. <laughs> And his last name's Rivers, which sounds kind of bolderish and kind of, you know, hippie. I like it. Let's go. And, you know, and, the, oh, that guy. Well, he's, I love purple. And so let's choose that defense, you know. <laughs> like, this is how I choose my, chose my team. Like, he analyzed and I, like, was just there for sh- the show. And a few years ago on our football team, on the Broncos football team, there was a man named Tim Tebow that was our quarterback, if you guys remember. <laughs> and... And when he was the quarterback, people loved to analyze Tim Tebow and they would talk about the way that he sat in the pocket and they would talk about how he was left-handed and they would talk about the way that he released and how it was super messy and how he like he had bad play call, right? And it was just like, analyze, 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 like criticize, criticize. You know, it's so funny to me because like these are all retired NFL players and I picture me being like a pastor and doing this to another pastor and like sitting in a booth and just being like, oh, he's opening up with John 15. <laughs> Rookie move. You know what I mean? Like, like, like. Like, this is what they do. And I'm just like, like, I picture myself as a retired pastor being like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. They're going for the funny story right up top. No, never do that. You know, like, I just, I just, like, I don't get it. But, but the analyze, analyze. And so they would analyze Tim Tebow, like, in every move that he made, right? And, um, but regardless, he would do this thing called Tebow time where in the fourth quarter, if we were down, it didn't matter by how much, like, miraculously, we would come back. And so I remember being, I was, I was here on a Sunday, I was working on a Sunday, and I go into the volunteer room and by, by some act of God, we had made it into the wild card uh, game for the playoffs and we were playing against the Steelers. That year, the Steelers had super good defense, okay? And so all of the analysis, all of the facts, were saying, this isn't gonna happen for us. Like, this isn't, this isn't gonna happen for us. And I remember walking into the volunteer room and being like, like full of faith. And I'm looking at the volunteers, and I'm like, and we're going into overtime, right? And I look at this little boy, and I'm like, dude, this is, this is going to happen. I can feel it. Like, I believe, man. I believe this is, this is happening. And this little boy was like, no. Like, this is... <laughs> This is, and I'm like, your doubt is not like helping this situation, and like you have to believe, man. You gotta believe. You know what? I like walk out because I got stuff to do because you know I'm a pastor, and so I walk out and I walk back into the volunteer room to see the game, and we had just thrown like Tim Tebow had just thrown this amazing pass. That I can't remember to who, but it was like um, Demaryius Thomas maybe, and and in the end zone, like the end of the game, and I was just like, yeah, you know, and, and I'm I'm like not prideful, so I was like, what's up, son? Like to that kid. <laughs> you know. But I remembered having, uh, but true story, you guys, I remembered having this like mad, mad belief in something that I couldn't see and in something that statistically was improbable based on facts was not really there. And that's what faith actually is. It's believing ahead When the facts and when the things that are the empirical evidence that is being presented to you is saying the exact opposite of that, God says in His Word that faith is having an assurance of things unseen and having a certainty. And what you hope for now I don't know about you but man who are the types of people when I read that verse I was like man if you are going to be a f- person of faith two things about you you are going to be stubborn number one and number two you are going to be a little bit different Do you know what I mean because who believes in things they don't see like who believes in things they don't see crazy people that's that's the answer to that okay so so for real like delusional people right they're like I see it and you're like oh I don't man <laughs> That's not real, right? But God says that if we are going to be people of faith, that people from the outside are going to look at us, and they're going to be like, whoa. Like, there is something a little bit different about you. You have to believe that strongly in something you don't see yet, to believe in something that hasn't come to fruition yet. And so what are you believing for tonight that you have not yet experienced? What are you believing for tonight that you have not yet seen? Maybe for you, you're believing for a spouse even though there is nothing in your world that is proving that this is going to come about for you. Maybe, maybe you're believing in a godly spouse, even though everybody that you meet just is playing the game. Maybe tonight you're believing that God is going to heal your family, When there's really no evidence of that, there's really no movement in that direction. Maybe you're believing that God is actually for you. Maybe this year you've started to actually believe that God has a plan for you to give you a hope and a future. What are you believing for tonight? Because God wants you to understand that people of faith, they believe in the things that they don't see And the prerequisite or the precursor to this verse in Hebrews 11 uh, is Hebrews 10, verse 38. And it says this. It says, but the righteous shall live by faith. I take no pleasure in one who shrinks back. This is God talking. This is a loaded statement. God says righteous people, they live by faith. And I don't know about you, but I want to be found righteous by God. And he says, if you want to be found righteous by me, then you will live by faith. And then he says this, I take no pleasure in people who shrink back. Well, shrinking back is a military term. It means to fall back. So the opposite of that, church, is to take ground. It is to take territory. God has so much pleasure in his children when we move forward and we take ground in our city. When we move forward and we take ground in our hearts. When we move forward and we take ground in new territory. God loves it when we have faith in things that we have not yet experienced. He says, I take no pleasure in people that shrink back. But then it says this, and I love it. It says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we belong to those instead who have faith and are saved. And I believe that this doesn't just apply to us eternally. This applies to the here and to the now. That salvation for your circumstance, salvation for your need, salvation for the thing that is on your heart tonight is contingent, Upon your ability to not shrink back when things look dark. And so how's your faith tonight, young adult? Tonight we're going to be reading about people, two different people, who had an assuredness in the middle of very dark circumstances. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 8. Luke 8. Um, Man, you guys awake? Okay. All right. I love you guys. Let's do this. Verse 41. Here we go. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him, and she touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing in on you. Don't you love when Peter, like, rebukes Jesus? You're like, oh, okay, Peter. He's like, clearly people are pressing in on you. Like, he's just so, like, arrogant. I love it. (laughs) But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came to the house of Jairus, or from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and the mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but she's only asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But um, he took her by the hand, and he said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. All right, so uh, Luke opens up, and Luke, for those of you who haven't read the Bible, who are new to the Bible, um, all of what we read about Jesus is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? All of the Gospels, and they are eyewitness accounts or scribblings of an eyewitness account about the life and the times of Jesus. Uh, Luke himself was a physician by trade, and so he was very analytical, okay, okay? He was somebody who was super analytical. What's interesting about Luke's gospel is that he talks more about probably miracles than any other gospel. And so the only way I can like reconcile that with somebody like Luke is he's like, man, my math brain and my like science brain can't figure this out. (laughs) I'm gonna pen it down like this is crazy. It is something that analysis cannot figure it out It is something that only faith can understand. Amen And so Luke talks about this experience that Jesus has with not one but two people and it is two people who have immense amount of assuredness of what they hope for. Do you hear me? And so first we hear about this woman, all right, and she's the well first we hear about a man named Jairus His daughter is sick. She's actually dying and then we hear about a woman, we don't get her name, we only know that she's been bleeding for 12 years. And so I think it's so interesting that scripture juxtaposes this girl who's been alive and breathing for 12 years next to a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And so she comes to Jesus and she makes her way through the crowd and I think tonight we can learn some things about Jir- or from Jairus and from this woman to help bolster our faith and learn about our faith. And the first thing that I want you to understand about this woman is her faith and her audacity to approach Jesus in this moment. Because she kind of like beelines, they're all pressing in on Jesus, there's a huge crowd, and she looks at them, and this woman in her state of uncleanliness. In first century Judea, you were considered unclean, and so you were quarantined to your home. You couldn't even sit on the same couch as everybody else. You had to sit on like a different couch. You weren't allowed to touch anyone, let alone go into a crowd and like rub elbows because you would make them unclean. You couldn't touch a rabbi because you would make him unclean. And this woman sees a crowd and a pack of people pressing in on Jesus, and instead of shrinking away, church, instead of falling back, instead of maybe disqualifying herself for a miracle, she leans in. And I want you to understand the first thing about faith tonight, and it's this, is that faith says this. It says, faith says Jesus is for me too. Faith says Jesus is for me too. When this woman goes and she ma- makes her way through the crowd and she like starts crawling like to Jesus, what she's doing in this moment, she's not just having faith that Jesus will hear her, heal her. She's actually having faith that Jesus will hear her. Let me tell you what I mean. How many of you believe that Jesus is capable of healing? Amen. I do too. There's faith in the room about that. How many of you believe, if I were to ask you this question, that Jesus, is, Jesus actually hears the cry of your heart? Amen. See, I actually think that for a whole bunch of us, it's easier to believe That Jesus is capable of miracles. Then Jesus is capable of miracles for me. It's easier to look at a crowd and say Jesus is for those people. And all those people pressing in on Jesus are going to get some miracles today. They're going to get to touch him. They're going to get to experience him. They're going to get to have a moment with him. It is a whole lot harder to believe that Jesus is for me. That Jesus is in my corner. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but I'm just going to be real with you. Sometimes I either act like the older brother in the prodigal son, where I think the only way I deserve something from God is if I earn it. Or I act like the younger son, and I think the only way, um, you know, I've made too many decisions in my life, and I've made too many bad choices in my life, so there's no way that God could actually do something or a miracle or have some movement in my life. And so I oscillate, church, between self-pity and self-righteousness, both which fly in the faith, uh, face of faith. I wonder tonight if there's a whole bunch of people in the room who believe that God is good, that he is moving. You're just not sure if he's for you, and this woman in this moment is so amazing because she realizes that she's been disqualified. She knows, according to Jewish law and Judean law, like she's disqualified. She's not supposed to go near people. She's not supposed to be touching Jesus. She's not supposed no, but she's not even supposed to be there. And yet, she also knows how Jesus treats the disqualified, because if you read a few chapters before that in Luke five, Jesus heals a leper. An outcast of a society, an untouchable like her. And Jesus touches this person. And then a few chapters later, he actually heals somebody on the Sabbath with a withered hand. And then a few chapters later, he heals a few paragraphs later, he heals a paralytic. And so she knows something about him. She knows that he loves being with the disregarded even if they're disregarding themselves. She knows that he loves being with people that are outcasts. She knows that he loves being with people that don't feel like they have enough or that they're good enough or maybe feel like the only way that they can make their way in is if they earn it. She knows he loves those kind of people. And so she says, Jesus is for me too. And she like beelines into the crowd. I mean, the boldness and the faith of this woman, the audacious, the audacity of this woman is so beautiful to me. So the Bible says that she makes her way through the crowd and she reaches out and she touches him. And she does this because she believes that Jesus is for you, for me. Now, I don't know if you know this, church, but when you met God, before you met God, you were actually disqualified. The Bible says that we were found dead in our trespasses and dead in our sin. And so we were actually disqualified from life. We were actually disqualified from communion with God. We were disqualified from his promises. We were disqualified from, man, his goodness and his graciousness, his peace and his power. We were disqualified from all of it until Jesus showed up on the scene. And suddenly, miracles are available for you too. (laughs) That's what the gospel is. And so this woman starts to make her way into the crowd. And I wonder tonight if God is looking at a whole bunch of people and he's like, it's for you too. My works and my effort, my power and my goodness, it's for you too. It's not just for the kid that has the amazing testimony about how he got off drugs and now his life is amazing. It's not just about the rich. It's not just for the rich. It's not for the people that have it all together. It is for you too. And in Hebrews 4, um, God talks about why it's for you too. Because he says, you know what? The way that I view my people is different than any other religious figure in history. The Bible says that we now have a high priest and that he is, he is unlike any other religious leader in that he is able to have affection and empathy for everything that you and I go through. The Bible says that there's not a single weakness that he doesn't know because he became a human. There's not a single um, setback that he hasn't felt himself. And so when we approach Jesus, this is the kind of person that we approach. We approach somebody that's like, I get you. I get you. And he says, therefore, you can boldly approach the throne of grace, and you may receive mercy in your time of need. And it's so awesome because this woman knows it, and she goes, see, faith says, church, Jesus is for me too. Faith says, me too. He's for me too. He's not just for the cool people. He's for me too. He's not just for the pastors. He's for me too. He's not just for the interns. He's for me too. I don't know what you're hoping for tonight, But God wants you to know that he is irrevocably in your corner and that he will work on your behalf if you would just believe that he would work. The second thing that we can learn from this woman is that she not only says, she not only says he's for me too, but she says this. She says, you can do it, God. You will. I know you will. Faith says you will. See, it's so amazing because uh, this woman makes her way through the crowd, and in this moment, she's believing that she's going to be received by Jesus. She's believing that he's not going to reject her, okay? He's not going to turn her away. But more than that, she's also believing in his character, that he is good for what he said he can do, that he's actually, that he's actually a God-man. He's actually a performer of miracles, and that everything that he has said that he will do, he will actually do, It's important for your faith, young adult, that you know that he is not just a man, um, that your faith is more about the promisor and less about the promises. And here's what I mean. It is more about the character of the man that is doing the promising than it is about the thing that he promised. I think it's interesting that in this scripture, he never talks about what he did for these people. Jesus' own words and his own admonition when he talks about Jairus, when he talks about the woman with the bleeding issue, you would have think that Jesus would have highlighted his power and his mercy and his grace. And he would have been like, please come and witness my power and my, as I heal this woman, that is the power of God at work. But he doesn't even talk about himself. He doesn't even mention himself. He doesn't say, wow, just look at, look at my power that has gone out of me and has, look, it's healed this woman and that, therefore you know that I'm God. He doesn't say that. Do you know what he says? What Jesus, the son of God, decides to highlight about this, this woman is her faith. And I think sometimes we read the Gospels and we think, oh my gosh, this is such an awesome like, take on a biography of the works of Jesus and the acts of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. But what Luke 8 at least is about, it's a biography of what it looks like to have faith in the middle of need and how that faith can change the atmosphere of your need. And so Jesus says, woman, your faith has healed you. He doesn't say, I healed you. Doesn't that mess you up a little bit? He says, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. In the 1980s, there was a movement within Christianity. And there was like televangelists and dudes with like big hair. And they would get up on a stage and they preached a gospel that was, uh, people came to know as the prosperity gospel. And they would preach a name it and claim it theology. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. I, I just want you to ignore me for a second. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, Stay with me for a second. This gospel, uh, the way that these people would preach, would they, say, they would say you need to have faith and you need to believe on God for miracles and for his power, which is all good theology. You need to believe in miracles and his power and then you will have a prosperous life. Bad theology. Because God never said, I came so that you can have the perfect house with like the gorgeous wife and your perfect car. Like he never said that, but he did promise you his power. And in the 1980s, there was such a, like, repulsion towards this theology and such a repulsion towards this movement that Christianity almost swung the other way and the church swung the other way where they were like, we don't want to call on God with radical faith. We don't want to believe on God or test God with our faith or believe him or pressure him or, like, circle ourselves in prayer before him and have faith because what if we ask with the wrong motives or what if we're naming and claiming it or what if we have prosperity gospel somewhere hidden in our hearts. And so therefore, Christians stopped asking. I really believe this. They stopped asking God. They stopped having faith in God. And yet, what the Bible says about faith, church, couldn't be further from that. No, God doesn't say that if you follow him, your life will be perfect. But do you know what he does say? He says that his word is good and true and that you can believe on it. And so God says, God says, oh my goodness, like the only way I'm going to move in your life is if you have faith. The only way I am able to unleash my hand in this scenario is if you have faith. The only way that I'm able to do what I, the only way God's will is unleashed on this earth is in the highway and in the the conduit of us believing that he will. And listen, not all of the things that you ask for will God answer, but I can tell you, God will not answer anything that you do not ask for. And so, what are you believing for tonight, church? What are you having faith for tonight? Because I believe that when we call on Jesus, we are calling on the promiser. We're calling on the man who gives us the perfect promise. And his word is as good as his bond. How many of you have a flaky coworker? You don't have to. Oh, maybe don't raise your hand in case they're here. Or maybe you have a flaky person in your group, in your group project at school, you know what I mean? And like you, you assign, you know, everybody gets a different assignment for what they're going to do and everybody gets a different thing that they get to do. And then you assign something to Bobby and you're like, okay, Bobby, man, the only thing we got you to do, okay, is buy manila folders. You think you can do that? <laughs> and Bobby's like, yeah, I'm on it. And you're like, you know, and then like a week goes by, and you know Bobby's not doing it, you know what I mean? Like, he's the guy at the group project. And so Harold's like the mind student who's type A, right? Like, Harold's like, Harold's like I'm on it and buying manila folders, right? Because you know that Bobby ain't following through with nothing, you know? But then some of you probably have a coworker worker whose word is as good as gold, right? I know that I work with people like this. I've got friends like this who the moment I say, hey, man, hey, are you going to do that? Yeah, I'm all over that thing. I'm going to forward you that email, and then I've got to finish up this project. And you're like, the moment they say it, I know they're going to do it. There's people that I know that the moment they say, oh, I'm going to complete this thing or I'm going to do this thing, or like, man, I've been working on um, that piece of our ministry, and I've got it, so don't even worry about it. The moment they say that, I know they're going to do it. And I don't care. Listen. Listen. When they say, I am going to do it, and and I don't need to know how they do it, amen? I don't need to understand the ways in which they do it, amen? And so I just trust. You said you're going to do it. Cool, dude. Do it, the, do it the way I would do it. Do it the way you would do it. That's awesome. Like, have a ball, right? And it releases me and frees me to live my life trusting that their word is good. Now, I wonder tonight if you would be able to trust in the promiser, more than the promise. If you would lean into the promiser and what he says he is going to do in your life tonight, that you would be able to lean into that and then you would be freed up from worrying about how or when the promiser is going to do it that you would be freed up from worrying about. I think some of you tonight, you doubt the promiser, not because he's not good on his promise, but because the promise hasn't come about the way you thought. The promise hasn't come about the way you wanted or the way you predicted or the way you thought it should have panned out. That wife didn't walk into your life at the moment that you thought she should. It was four years ago. What happened? We're not sure. You are the worst, right? And God's like, I have a, I'm a, I am good on my word. It's just not the way you think, man. Or maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to get promoted, and I thought it was going to be through this. I thought it was going to be this way. I thought it was going to be that way, God. And he's like, what if I'm about to do something that's even crazier than you thought? What if I'm about to do something that's even more amazing than what you imagined? I'm the promiser, not you. And if you thought your co-worker's word was good, you should check mine. He's like, I am good on my word. Everything that I say is good and true. And I am going to follow through. (laughs) Has your faith, have we lost maybe some faith because we think, man, he's not going to follow through or he hasn't followed through the way that I thought he should have followed through. This is what Numbers 23 says, and I know that, man, I'm stuck on this verse this year, so forgive me, but it says this, God is not human, that he should lie, nor like a human being that he should change his mind. His character is solid, and it says this, does he not speak and then act? Does he not promise and then fulfill it? Here's what you need to know about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, even though I don't understand it. The moment that he speaks, his character is bound to answer it. The moment that he makes a promise, his character is bound to fulfill it. He will not not fulfill it. If he has said something to you through his word, if he has made a promise to you in your heart that is lined up with this word, listen to me. He will fulfill it. It just might not be the way that you think. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, faith always has been the mark of God's kids, you and me, from the beginning of the world. It is the firm persuasion of expectation that God will perform all he's promised. Faith proves to the mind the reality of things that cannot be seen by the bodily eye. In 2012, John and I decided we wanted to have a baby. And so, without going into a lot of detail we spent an entire year trying to have a baby. Um, lots of fun. Um, <laughs> but also, also lots of sadness. Um, men in here, you might not understand this as much as women, but there's honestly not a pain in the world, like infertility. And I remembered taking pregnancy tests. And before I would take one, I would actually like, get anxiety because um, I was so scared. And I took one, man, in early spring. 2013 we've been trying for over a year and it was negative and I sat on the ed- I remember distinctly where I was I sat on the edge of my bathtub and I just cried and I looked at John and I said I don't I don't believe anymore I don't who would do this to me like I don't believe him and my husband being the man that he was he said God is still on the throne Jesse He's still on the throne. And so I got up, and, and I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't really have total faith, but I got up, and I went about my life. And in a few months later, I was sitting in prayer in one of our, our churches, actually at the Golden Campus, and we were having prayer in the morning, and God directed me. He used to do this with me. He does it every now and then. Um, but he, he, he gave me a verse. He says, I want you to go to Psalm 113. And I was like, I... And so I went to Psalm 113, and it's like God takes people in the mire and the muck, and he lifts them out of, out of the depths. And God takes the person in ashes, and he lifts them up to high places. And I was like, cool, Lord. <laughs> I was like, for real, that was my posture towards him. I was like, thanks. <laughs> and then I'll never forget this. At the very bottom of Psalm 113, it says this. It says, the Lord takes a barren woman and settles her in her home, a happy mother of many. And I, I just lost it, and I knew. And he said, my word is for you. That's my promise to you. And it might not be the way that you think, but my word is good. And if I said I will, then I Will. When that woman, when she darted through the crowd, there's another translation of this same of this same story um, in a different gospel, and it says that she made her way through the crowd, and as she went, her thought was, she said, her thought life was, if I but touch him, he will. Heal me. And I don't know where you're at tonight, young adult, but you need to understand that His Word is good. And if He said He will, then He will. It might not be in the time that you wanted, but He will. And it's time that you started to rise up and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. It might not be the timing that I thought, but You will. It might not be the way that I thought you were going to, but You will. You will, God. That's what faith says. You will. You will. You will. will." And now I have a Four-year-old crazy daughter. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Her name is Brooklyn. I believe that she's gonna be a worship leader. And a homegirl is strong as fire. And so we are grateful for her. Thank you, God. Help us to parent her now. God says that faith says, me too. Me too. Faith says, You will. And lastly, faith says this. Faith says, don't shrink back. This woman has this amazing encounter with Jesus. She makes her way through the crowd. She touches him. She, like, instantly is healed. And then she gets to interface with him. And he turns around, and, like, they have this moment where he's, like, and he calls her daughter. Like, it's so intimate and so amazing and so profound. He's, like, daughter, your faith. I mean, Jesus is, like, in admiration of her. He's, like, your faith, daughter. healed you. He's like, go in peace, kid. Good job. Lest we forget, though, there's another character in this story, and his name is Jairus. And I don't know why, but I relate more with Jairus' church than I do with the woman with bleeding. I think for a lot of different reasons. But it says this um, when we read about him. It says, then a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. Jairus comes to Jesus first. Okay, He's first on the scene. He is first there. And he's like, Jesus, listen, this is my only hope. You are my only hope. I have no other hope besides you. This is my only kid. <laughs> you have to help me. It is not, listen, he says, she's dying. She's not sick. She's dying. Stage four cancer, dying. She's on her death. It's like she, her breaths are shallow. You have to get here right now. This is my kid. You got to come right now. And Jesus, Jesus speaks to him, church, and he says, let's go promises let's go Jairus and so they go and I picture Jairus being like I kind of want to run but you're a teacher of the law so I'll kind of walk right and he's like come on you know like at some point though he's like come on come on and he turns back and Jesus is like 20 yards back surrounded by a crowd and with somebody else Ah, I relate with this so deeply And this might not be the most Christian thing to say, but I believe in this moment, Jairus has a moment where he, I can almost see fear and panic enter his eyes as the crowds kind of push him back and he watches somebody else get his miracle. watch somebody have a financial miracle, and you're like, oh, what about my need? God, you watch somebody have a miracle of peace in their life or promotion in their life, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what about your promise to me? And I just picture, like, panic kind of overtaking him, and he takes a few steps back as everybody else crowds in, and then his servant rolls up, and he's like, Jairus, man, Jairus, I'm so sorry. He says, she's dead, man. The promise is dead. No, there's no more promises, there are no more. And then he says this: he says, stop bothering the teacher. And what he's saying in this moment is, he's saying, don't just, it's all over, man. Pack your bags. Like go home. The promise is dead on your couch. Like you just need, don't bother him. What he's saying in this moment, even though he's not, he's not saying it this way, he's saying, shrink back, Jairus. Fall back, man. Fall back, dude. It's all over. The war's over. Just fall back. And Jesus hears him. And he turns around. He says, You come here. He says this to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. See, because in this moment, Jairus' faith, his faith, his like audacity of like, Jesus is with me. I believe that Jesus is with me. He's going. He's, we're on the way. We got a miracle. Here it comes. Everybody else, you know, like he's like, so it was like from that moment, his faith is replaced with fear. And faith says, Me too. Faith says, God is for me too. You know what fear says? Not you. Not you. Are you kidding? God's for that girl. He's not for you. And Jairus has a moment where he's like, oh my gosh, maybe he's not. And Jesus looks at me and he says, do not be afraid. Don't you dare be afraid. You know what he's saying in this moment? He's saying, Jairus, don't you dare shrink back in your darkest of moments. Don't you dare take a step back in your darkest of nights. Don't you dare take one moment back in your darkest moments. Don't you dare take a step back. I am still for you. And he's like, I need you to believe And listen, it is hard in your dark moments, but you gotta start small. It is hard in those moments of weakness, but so you gotta start small, and you gotta start small, and you gotta wake up in the morning and say, You're for me too. You're for me too. You're for me too. And you let that build that he's for you too, that theologically that's completely accurate, that he's for you too, and then you let that build into he will he will. It might not have been the way that I thought, but he will. It might not have been the way that I saw, but he will. He says, Jairus, don't shrink back. Just believe and she'll be healed. He says, by your belief, by your faith, she'll be healed. I wonder if God, you're waiting on God tonight and he's waiting on you you're waiting on God tonight. And he's like, are you going to believe me? I'm waiting on you. He says, Jairus, let's go. They get to the house and he's like, all right. And he stands over the girl and everybody's like laughing at him because he's like, it's going to be all right. And they're like, yeah, you know, like they don't believe him. They're all laughing. They're all like mocking. He says, little girl. And then he says this. He says, my child, you know, that promise you have on your heart. That's not your promise. That's his promise. He gave to you. That kid on the couch, Jairus's kid. That's not Jairus's kid. That's Jesus's kid, he gave to Jairus. He says, My child, stand up. And she does. See, Jairus, this is what's crazy, church. Jairus came to Jesus in his need and he was asking for a miracle and he thought that miracle was going to be a healing. But what Jairus actually received, church, wasn't a healing. (laughs) It was a resurrection. And I wonder tonight if God's like, I didn't do it the way that you thought because I'm actually going to resurrect something dead in your life. I didn't do it the way that you thought because I actually am going to do something completely new in your life. And so if everybody could stand tonight, I just want to read this verse over us. It says this. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39, but we do not belong to those church who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I think tonight God is like, go again, believe again, go again, believe again. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just have one question. If you are in here tonight and you have something that you believe that God has promised you, that God has given you by his word and you're like man I've been expecting it one way but now you know what I just surrender to the promiser and I'm gonna look to you God and I'm gonna say that your word is true if you're in here tonight and you just want to say God man I know that you will and you want to show your faith tonight will you just raise your hand nice and high God I know that you will God I know that you will even if I don't man even if I don't see how I know that you will you can Put your hand down. I see you. Amen. And if you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I met Jesus when I was 18 years old. Best decision I ever made. He is our Redeemer, our Savior. He is also our life. And so not only do you get eternity forever, but you get the Holy Spirit in the here and now, which empowers you to live a life you could only dream of, I promise you. And if you're like, your heart's been beating and like you've kind of been zoning out because all you know is that you want the Jesus that turns around and says, daughter, your faith, son, your faith. If you would like to know that, Jesus, for the very first time tonight, would you just raise your hand nice and high? Nice and high in here. Amen, I see you. Amen, amen, amen. God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you that you are for us. God, we thank you that our faith takes us into new places. God, I pray that tonight that people would lean on you, believe on you. I pray that the people got that got saved tonight, that you would invade their space tonight. And God, I pray that we would not be waiting on you, God, that, it, that you would be waiting on us and that we would respond to you tonight in faith. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your name that we praise and worship. Amen.